So uh, we're beginning a uh, new series uh, today. Uh, today will be uh, the introduction to that series. We've titled it Rules of Engagement, and I'll explain what rules of engagement means in a, in a little, while, little while as we get into the message. It's a military term, and uh, we'll be looking at, at that. But, you know, how, how many of you, I just want to just kind of caution you over the next, you know, 24 hours and, and, and even more, that just really be careful when you're driving because I noticed a lot of people are, are seemingly distracted, you know, by uh, the, the news of the storm that is, you know, uh, approaching. Uh, anybody uh, was at the supermarket on the last day or two? Can we just see your hands at the supermarket? Craziness, right? People just, you know, buying everything off of the shelves, right? So, th- so there's, this, there's this little girl, right? And she's sitting in the wagon and she's throwing a temper tantrum. I mean, you know, like her, her arms are flailing around and she's yelling and screaming, you know? And uh, uh, crazy, 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 so busy. I mean, people just all up and down the aisles. And the mother was just... You know, very, very, just very quietly, just, just continuing. She was on mission. I, I think that's what it was. She was on a mission to get whatever it was that they needed, you know, and, and go, go up and down the aisles. And, and uh, the, the mother was calmly and, and soft, with a soft voice, she was heard saying stuff like this. Uh, do, do, do not yell, Susie. Do not get excited, Susie. Right, and as she's pushing the cart, she says, chill out, Susie. You know, uh, just calm down, Susie. And this, this grandmother type is coming the other way, right, in, in, with, with her shopping cart. And she just wants to kind of, you know, encourage this young mother. So, so she says, I just want to commend you in, in the way that you are, you know, just calmly trying to bring your little daughter da- down, you know, from, from where she is. And she says, she says, lady, she says, my name is Susie. Now, I really didn't mean that to be funny, but of course, you know, it, it is kind of comical. I really meant that to be practical because, let me tell you this, this, this is important because one of the most important things when we find ourselves in a stress-filled situation is, is to really calm ourselves down, you know, stay focused, calm down. Uh, the art of speaking to ourselves the, the, the art of encouraging ourselves is a, a vital spiritual principle that we see in Scripture. We see the psalmist many times. Uh, we see David. David, David was uh, skillful as, first of all, he was a strategist. He was a military captain, you know, over, over the army of Israel. And uh, yet one of the things that, that David was absolutely reckless in his abandonment was his ability to put his trust in God, in the promises of God, and in the God of promise, right? But one of the things that David would constantly do, and we read this in, in, in some of it, first of all, peace. How important is peace? He says, great is the peace of those who love your word, and they shall never stumble. So one of the things that God's given to us as believers is this legacy or this inheritance of peace, that we should be calm even in the midst of adverse circumstances, even in the midst of, of uncertainty and trying and difficult times when we're stuck between a rock and a hard place, that we would know a peace that's inexplicable, that, that surpasses, the Bible says, all understanding. And David, one of the things that David did was not only loving the promises of God and loving the Word of God, but David would speak to his own soul, like Susie. 
David, David would say, why are you so downcast on my soul? Put your hope in God. In Psalm 103, David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, which, is, which means he's talking to himself. He says, bless, and again, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. And then he rattles off about seven or eight different ways in which God blesses us and, and provides for us healing, forgiveness, satisfies our mouth with good things, and, 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 and on and on it goes. And one of the most cited uh, incidences in the life of David, when, he's real, when his back was up against the wall, we've said this many times, was when, was when David's men spoke about stoning him because they were all grieved because of the loss of their, women, their wives and children. And the Bible says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. So for you and I to learn the art of, of encouraging ourselves, of speaking to ourselves, like, like Susie, calm down, Susie, you know, don't get excited, Susie, you know, chill out. So it, is, it is an important spiritual principle as we begin to get into some of the areas of rules of, of engagement. If there's ever been a time when, when we need the peace of God, when we need to cultivate this art of, of speaking to ourselves the peace of God, it's now. We, we live in probably one of the most uncertain periods of time, I know in my life, you know, uh, financial uncertainty, political uncertainty. Uh, th- it seems like the, the country is on a moral uh, slopery slip, and, and we're going in the wrong direction. So th- there's a great need for us to experience this, this peace of God that passes understanding. There's a lot of talk these days about post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTDS, or PTSD, rather. <clears throat> and uh, this post-traumatic stress disorder, people that, that are experiencing this kind of distress or, or stress feel like they're on the edge. They, they feel like their, their nerves are, are raw, you know? Uh, some of the symptoms are sleeplessness, re- recurring uh, memories of traumatic experiences, uh, irritability, uh, anger, you know, uh, and, and a whole bunch of other issues that come. Let me tell you, you don't have to come, you don't have to be a veteran coming back from Afghanistan to experience post-traumatic stress disorder, at least in some measure. You know, just living in this world where this world is filled with drama and it's filled with trauma, you know, and that, and that life sometimes is really, really, really hard so that in some measure we may be experiencing some kind of stress and some kind of distress. And that's why this message really is uh, so vitally important for us. Especially we who are followers of Jesus Christ, we have the added pressure of dealing with, with, with battles and, and conflict on three fronts. I mean, we're not just facing a physical enemy. We're facing a spiritual enemy. The Bible says that we have an enemy who goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And there's the world and the flesh that we also have to contend with, enemies from without, as well as enemies from from within our own flesh or our own sinful nature that we need to learn how to dress for success. And the way in which we dress for success is that we, we put on the whole armor of God. We take the shield of faith, which is able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked ones. So this idea of rules of engagement, you know, is a military term, and yet the Bible is filled with military metaphors about fighting the good fight of faith, about putting on the whole armor of God, about wrestling against principalities and powers. And so we're going to look at, at, at some of these things with this statement. 
in this series, Rules of Engagement, we'll, we will consider principles and strategies for when we're stuck between a rock and a hard place. So in this, in this, can you read that okay? In this series, we're going to look at strategies and principles for what happens when we're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Now, one of the first things I want you to do is I want you to make a commitment that when you feel the pressure, when you feel the stress, when you feel the storm clouds rolling in, that you will not panic. You will not give in to fear, and you will, you will not go the way of worry and anxiety, you know, but that you, you purpose to know the peace of God that passes all understanding. That's why we need a God-inspired strategy to enable us to cope with the messes and the stresses that we find in this life. I'm going to tell you this, there's no greater force. There's no greater force in all the universe than the throne of grace to which you and I, as believers in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, that we have access to the throne of grace where we can find help and grace in a time of need to discover that the God whom we serve is an ever-present help in a time of need. Now, Here's the, here's the challenge for us. The challenge is, is that God many times works in ways that we cannot see or we cannot figure out or we have no clue as to what God's doing in our life. So here's the challenge. The challenge for us is to trust and obey. He doesn't ask us to figure out the next move. He's got everything in his hands. All we have to do, and I say all we have to do, and yet there's, there, there's a lot of tension in that, trust and obey. When we don't know what to do, we, 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 we should say in our hearts, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. You know, God, I don't know what to do, and I'm feeling right now the pressure, but I know this, I know that you love me, and nothing will be able to separate me from your love. Begin to speak some of those promises that God has given to us to assure us that, that God is for us and that he is not against us and that therefore because of that we could know and experience the faithfulness of God. When it comes to, listen, facing these stressful situations, really the first enemy that we will meet with is, is this thing called worry and fear and anxiety and, and, and this kind of distress. I think we should have a made-up mind. Before we ever enter the day of battle, we should, we should have a strategy and a, a made-up mind. Listen, that worry and anxiety is no friend of ours, right? It's not some good old friend. It's not some good old boy. But here's the problem, is that we've entertained it in the past. And, you know, worry thinks it could just, you know, come right through the front door and make itself at home, you know. But it's like a, it's like a, a bad uh, tenant who doesn't pay his rent. He's got to be evicted, but he doesn't go out easily, you know? Here's a statement that I want you to consider about, about worry. Fear, worry, and doubt. Listen, they're not an option, an option for us. Someone said it like this. Worry is like a small trickle of fear that moves through the mind, cutting a channel into which all other thoughts flow. Let me read it again. Worry is like a small trickle of fear that meanders or moves through the mind, cutting a channel into which all other thoughts flow. Now, if that's true, and I think that it is, if that's true, and I think that it is, then we need a God-inspired strategy about how to deal with worry and fear. We need to know 
that we can be still and we can know that God is God. And the Bible says that the people that know their God, they shall be strong. So let's take a look at a classic example this morning of a group of people who were stuck between a rock and a hard place. You know, their backs were up against the wall. You've been there. I've been there. We've been there. We've done that. We, we know what it's like to, to be in situations sometimes when there's, when, there's nowhere, when there's no way out, right? So the classic story I want us to look at over the next several weeks, and we're just going to give the introduction of that this morning, is the story of the Exodus. The children of Israel, they've come out of, out, out of Egypt. And they literally are stuck between the devil and the deep blue sea, stuck between the Red Sea before them, the mountain ranges on the left and the right, and the chariots of Pharaoh pressing hard behind them. Now, one of the things that's so important, we could just simply go right away to chapter 14, but, but I don't want to do that. I want, you, I want to teach you something about contextually studying the Word of God. See, if you, you just, sometimes if you just do like Bible bingo when you open up the Word and you, you should begin with a chapter, you know, many, many times in Scripture, the, the key to understanding the chapter that's before us is, is, the, is the, the end of the chapter that was, you know, that just finished, you know? And so in chapter 13, the, the story is found in chapter 14, but in chapter 13, the Holy Spirit gives us the, this vital information that, that is going to set us up for an understanding of the ways of God and, and how we're to approach which strategies, these rules of, of engagement. So in, at the end of chapter 13, Moses carries the bones of Joseph with him out of Egypt. He fulfills a promise that was made, not to him, but, but to his ancestors several centuries before, about four centuries before, when Joseph was going to go the way of all the world, Joseph made the children of Israel promise that when God visited them, and God would visit you, that you will carry up my body, carry up my bones, and bring it back into the land of promise, where, 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 where I came from, right? And so, and so Moses carries the bones of Joseph. Now remember, one of, the, one of the, the, the important things that we can gleam out of this is very simply this, is that God keeps his promise. Time is nothing. Time is irrelevant to God. When God makes a promise, even though it may, it may be hundreds of years in the making, God will keep his promise. And, and, and Joseph believed in the promises of God. You and I, beloved, we need to believe in the promises of God, that they will come to pass, that we can have confidence, that like Abraham, we could say, we could say, I am persuaded that what God promised he is able also to perform. Even though I can't figure it out, even though I can't imagine how God's going to do it, yet God is going to do it because he promised it. Now, one of the other things that is in that, in that little secret of, of understanding the, the chapter that is to follow is, is that Joseph was a man of faith and how vital faith is in the arena or the theater of, of our warfare and of life because drama happens and trauma happens all the time. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is such an important issue to, for us to cultivate and to grow in the grace and in the, in, the, in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So Joseph was a man of faith in hard places. We know the story of Joseph. Joseph was a man of faith in, in tight spaces. 
And as a result of that, God blessed Joseph. But, but one of the other things that's in this chapter, at the end of the chapter, we're told specifically that it was God who was directing the children of Israel with a pillar of fire by day and a pillar of uh, cloud by, I'm sorry, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And uh, it was God who was guiding them. God was directing them. God was leading them. Im- important point. You see, they were exactly where they were supposed to be because God was directing them. Because God was ordaining this position that they were going to be. And now they were going to be in a tough spot. They were going to be in a tight space. They were going to be stuck between the devil and the deep blue sea. But God was going to make a way for them that they could never figure out on their own. So let's, let's, let's jump into chapter 14. And I've taken out a couple of the names of the, of, the, of the locations just so that I could make the reading a little bit flow a little bit better for us. So Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back. They are to encamp by the sea. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around in the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did so. Okay, now, everybody, I'm sure you've seen the Ten Commandments. I'm sure you've, you know, seen the, you know, the the Red Sea. So this is, I can't hold this out as a, you know, the story isn't going to change, you know, so, but we're not going to look at that right now. We're going to just concentrate and think about what it was like Put yourself in that place. Uh, Being stuck between the Red Sea and the chariots that were behind pursuing, right? Just think about, first of all, just think about the logistics of being in a situation like this. Uh, It's estimated, right? Uh, I've said this before in the past, that it's estimated that there was at least 1.2 million uh, adults over the age of 20 that came out of Egypt. Not counting women and children. Uh, women and children would have brought up the number to probably about maybe two and a half to three million people. That's a staggering amount of people. That's, that's more people, I think, than we have probably here on Long Island. So think about caring for everybody on Long Island, right? Uh, a military strategist said that in order to, if, if, if the Israelites were a marching army, then, then the, it would be necessary to, to provide for them with at least 15,000 pounds or tons of food on a daily basis. On a daily basis, right? Uh, a marching army through the desert would need water, lots of water, not only water for drinking, but water for bathing, water for washing utensils. And it's estimated about 11 million gallons of water were needed on, on a daily basis. When they, when they broke and they made camp, listen, when they broke and they made camp, they, they would need an area of camp that were about two-thirds the size of Rhode Island. Imagine that, 750 square miles of just camping area for that many people. Now, now let me ask you this question. If you were in the midst of that, right, if you were Moses leaving Egypt, would you take all of that into consideration? Do do you think that Moses had the foggiest idea of what would be necessary, even if he had a vague idea of uh, the kind of supplies? Where would he get that out in the desert, you know? 
So this is what I want you to know, is that Moses accepted the challenge, the same challenge that you and I have to accept, and that is to trust and obey. Moses didn't try to figure out how, as long as God was leading, as long as God was directing, as long as it was God, was God ordaining, then, then Moses had this belief that God would also supply, that God would supply all their needs by his riches and glory. And listen, can I, can I ask you the same thing this morning? If you have been if you've been following the Lord, if the Lord has been directing you and, and, and you have been trusting and obeying in the Lord, and you can say that about your, your, your family, my, my family, we, we, we trust in God and, and we're obey as much as, 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 as anyone. Can I tell you this? That God is faithful and that God will provide all your need by his riches and glory in Christ. But look at where God led them. Look at where God directed them. He directed them into this cul-de-sac, if you will, where there was no way out. There was nowhere to look except to God. But that's a good thing. When we find ourselves in these tight situations and there's nowhere else for us to look but to look to God, you know, we could look to the one who is the source then of our supply. Here is a God-ordained strategy. He's going to bring us to the place where we have to trust him and obey him where we have to release our confidence in God or go the other way. And going the other way is not an option for us. God led them into this seemingly impossible situation between the mountains on the one side, the Red Sea before them in the pressing chair. God, God ordained this. God directed this. This was to show that, that God was, was Lord, that, that Yahweh was God and that he, was, he had a way where, there's, where there seems to be no way. You know, Scripture tells us in so many ways, you know, and, and it asks us individually the question, is there anything too hard for me? God will ask you that question until you can answer that question with an affirmative no. Th- there's nothing too hard for you, God. I like what Jay Packard said. He says, our God is a God who not merely restores but who takes up our mistakes and our follies into his plan for us and brings good out of it. In other words, even when we mess up, even when we haven't followed the direction of God directly because we're children of God, God takes our messes and he turns them into things that are good for us and for his glory. So what I want you to do this morning is I want you to realize this, that the hard place that they found themselves in First thing is do, you don't panic. You don't, you don't give in to fear or anxiety or worry, but you stay calm. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. You know, the Bible forbids us from worrying. Worrying, as I said a moment ago, is no friend of ours. You know, one of the characteristics of sheep is that sheep are skitterish. Sheep uh, easily, you know, are frightened by an unfamiliar sound, you know, a little fuzzy bunny hopping in the grass will cause sheep to panic, you know? I wonder if that's, you know, it's not very complimentary, but I wonder if that's one of the reasons why that we are like sheep in need of a shepherd, you know? But, but say to me, wait a minute, wait a minute. We face real issues and we face real problems. We, we, we're dealing with a, a financial statement. We're dealing with a doctor's report. We're dealing with concerns about our children. We're dealing with with relationship issues. 
Oh, yeah, they are serious. But I, again, I ask the question, is there anything too hard for God? I know the cares of life. We've been there. We've done that. But God requires us to simply trust and obey, not to try to figure everything out that's going to come our way. When we approach this with an attitude that I believe is the correct attitude, then the extremities for us become opportunities for God. Our limitations become opportunities for God to show himself strong and mighty on our behalf. I don't know if you like statistics like this, but I do. I love this stuff. Listen, listen to this. They say, scientists say that the oceans on planet Earth contain, listen, 340 quadrillion gallons of water. I have no idea how much that is. That's a lot, you know? But Isaiah says that God holds the oceans in the crevices of his hand. Think about that. Scientists tell us that the earth weighs six sextrillion metric tons. But God says they're like dust upon the balances, and God says that the earth is his footstool, okay? Scientists claim that there, there, there is about 100 billion galaxies in the known universe, 100 billion galaxies. And in every galaxy, there's about a bil- a, a 100 billion stars. Every galaxy, 100 billion galaxies, 100 billion stars. And, and Isaiah says that God brings forth the stars and he calls them by name. I mean, stuff like this is mind-boggling. It blows the mind. So if God can hold the oceans in the hollow of his hand, if God, could, if God could speak the stars into existence and call them out by name, if God measures the, 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 the earth as dust upon the balances, then is there anything too hard for him? Are, are your problems and my problems too great for God? And the answer is no. Not when the God whom we serve, our Savior, is, his name is called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. No, God led them into a scary situation to test their faith. God led them into a scary situation to prove their faith. You see, because only faith that's been proven has, is proven to be genuine. Only faith that's been tested and that can endure and comes out the other side can be that which is real and genuine. God is always worthy of trust. As the commander-in-chief of the armies of the Lord, God is worthy of trust. What we need to remember is that God either allowed us to be in the place where we are today, or he's directly brought us to this place. In a similar way, Jesus gives instructions to his disciples. He says, guys, get in a boat. I want you to go over to Capernaum. Go over to the other side. And you know what happens in this experience? They're caught in a night filled with terror. They're caught in a situation where they believe their life was in danger, that, that their life was over. And out of that experience came a great truth, which, listen, had they never been in that experience, if they never experienced that trial, they would have never known what manner of man Jesus was, that even the wind and the sea does obey him. Years later, Peter, 
having remembered and gleaned from that experience because he was there. He was an eyewitness of the power that Jesus exhibited when he said, peace, be still. He writes to a group of people that are beleaguered, that are, that are, that are pressed in, that are experiencing suffering from a, a ruthless emperor. And uh, this is what he writes to them. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And then in 1 Peter 4.12, he says, he says, he just reminds them, he says, don't be surprised by these painful trials that you're suffering as though some strange thing was happening to you. No, this is the course. This is the agenda that we signed up for when we gave our lives to Christ. Whether you knew it or not, whether the preacher was honest with you or not, In this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. All they that live godly in Christ Jesus will experience troubles. But the very thing that is happening right now to each of us in the different ways, in the different stories of our life is that God is perfecting us. God is strengthening us. God is maturing us. God is bringing us to a place where we're not going to be skittish like sheep, where we're not going to run, but our hearts are going to be fixed, trusting in the Lord, knowing in the character and goodness of God. I love what W.A. Tozer said. He said, to the child of God, there's no such thing as an accident. He travels an appointed way. And then Andrew Murray, who was going through this terrible crisis in his life, wrote this. He brought me here. It is his will that I am in this place. In that fact, I will rest. I feel so sorry for people who do not believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe in the the God that Jesus says numbers the hairs on our head. Who knows that when one sparrow falls to the ground and that we are of greater worth than many sparrows, I believe in the sovereignty of God, that God has us exactly where he wants us to be, trusting in him our hearts fixed. Another example of of speaking to yourself, you know, and asking the question, because it's important to ask the question, you know, like the psalmist in Psalm 121. He says this, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. And here's the question, where does my help come from? That's an important question to ask. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. And where does my help come from? But it's most important when we ask the question that our heart also comes up with the answer. And he says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The fixing of our eyes on God is an important spiritual principle. It's a strategy for success. That we would take our eyes off of our situation and try to Stop trying to figure out how God will and, 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 in the, and the plans that God will unveil, but rather just trust and obey that God will. We have a Savior who spoke this universe into existence. If, if the universe is, is that big and God measures it by the spans of his hand, then is there anything too hard for him? A few weeks ago, I spoke to you 
about an incident that happened on Apollo 13. Jim Lovell, remember him? Well, in an interview, he was asked this question. He was asked, did you ever really, before this all took place, did you ever really face something of a life-threatening situation, of, of fear-producing, of hopelessness? And he related, he related this story. It took place over the Sea of Japan during World War II. He was f- f- flying a, a, a jet, uh, jet plane that was uh, badly disabled. And uh, as a result of the disabling of, of this plane, he had lost his radar in his homing device. It was going to be hard for him at night to find the, the aircraft carrier for him to land on because the aircraft carrier was flying in what was called was, was blackout mode, meaning because of the combat situation, none of the lights were on on, on, on the, on the uh, ship. And so, and so without those instruments, I mean, he was really in trouble. And he turned on his, his map light to, to get a bearing upon where he might be. And when he put that map light on, it shorted out the panel of, on the instrument panel and everything went dark. He's in absolute darkness. At that moment, fear almost began to grip him. But then something happened. He began to notice. You see, you see without an, an altimeter, there would be no way of knowing how the measurement between him and the, and the ocean was. And I mean, he was in serious problem, but, but here's what began to happen. He began to notice this green glowing fluorescent type light that was making a trail. And he realized what that was, that when large ships like an aircraft carrier churn up the ocean in, in, its, in its route, it, it, it churns up the algae. And the algae was, was making this green carpet. And he describes it like this. It was like a long carpet laid out for me, leading me to safety. Now, here's the thing. Had his light not gone out in his, in his cabin, in the instrument panel, he would have never been able to see that dim glow of the algae that led him straight to his aircraft carrier. He would have, ne- he would have never been one of the men that circled the moon in, in, a, in a previous flight. I want to say this, is that, is that when things look like they're, they're at their absolute worst, if you just keep trusting and obeying God, it's going to work out. God is faithful. Amen? What I want you to know this morning, what I want you to take away from this message today is simply this. Recognize that God designed for you to be where you are. Trust and obey. God designed for you. You can't figure it out. Don't try to. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. Trust in the wisdom of God. Trust in the grace of God. When we consider this message about rules of engagement, don't panic. Don't give in to fear. Put up a sign that says no worries allowed, right? Over your brain, over your mind. Practice the art of encouraging yourself with the promises of God and the word of God, build yourself up. Because I tell you what, God is able to make a way where there seems to be no way. God wants you to know that you are exactly where God wants you to be. Even if you've messed up, even if you've made mistakes, there's a a promise in Romans 8, 28, God will work all things together for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Trust and obey. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the, oh, the, the word of God that is able to build us up and to encourage us and to give us an inheritance. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the examples that you've given to us in Scripture, Lord God, whereby we are encouraged, oh God, not discouraged, that even in the face of this pending storm, Lord God, we know that, God, you have everything in hand. More important than the oceans being in the palm of your hand, Father, I know that my life, the lives of the people that I love are in the palm of your hand. Jesus, you said none can pluck us out, that you have us in the very crevices of your hand. And so we put our confidence and our trust in a God who cannot fail because one thing is absolutely certain. God, you never, you never let us down. You never fail. You are faithful and just. Let's all stand together as we worship him this morning.